Thanks for sharing, downloading, and listening to The Start On Demand. The very best of The Start. Greg Mackling on behalf of Lauren McNabb and a vacationing Brett McGarry. Friday, the weekend is here. Kind of a roller coaster day on The Start today. We want to celebrate the Winnipeg Sea Bears, their success. Sold out game coming up tomorrow night. It's one of several sellouts they've had this season. They will have the biggest crowd in CEBL history and Sea Bears. History coach Mike Taylor joins us to talk about their success on and off the court. We will also talk about crime. The Crime Severity Index came out for major cities across the country. And guess who's number one? You're probably not going to like the answer to that question. World Police and Fire Games getting underway in Winnipeg today. It's the largest athletic event Winnipeg has ever hosted. We'll find out just how many athletes, how many events are involved. That and much else. Let's get right down to business. Mackling, McNabb, McGarry returns on Monday. We'll hear just a tiny bit from Brett McGarry later on this morning. As of course, Loren, he's on holidays. But yesterday he was here to record the Couch Potatoes. The podcast is live now. You can find that podcast wherever fine podcasts are found, downloaded, shared, subscribed. And uh, Jeff Braun's going to tell us about Oppenheimer, but... I'm I'm feeling relief today because it's a little bit cooler. Oh, what a I, I mean, you know, you you want to I want to not complain about the heat, but as early as June, I thought, wow, these are some incredible, just incredible days we're having to the point where it's so hot that it, for me anyway, you know, I need to be in shade or and that there has to be some breeze or I have to be by some water when it's that kind of heat, right? And so heat is the topic du jour, the topic of the month, maybe the topic of the summer. When you look at headlines around the world, man, it's hot almost everywhere. Some places far hotter than even this, if you can imagine. And we're experiencing some of the hottest temperatures, you know, when you look at it, that the planet has seen when with comparable data. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, if you want to see a shocking sight, uh, Google cactus... Arizona desert because the cacti are even beginning to wilt under the pressure, under the strain of this heat in the Sonoran desert uh, in Arizona. It's a very sad thing to see these iconic, uh, you know, this iconic giver of life in the, in, in the heart of the desert. When you drive through Arizona, I drove through uh, Arizona almost exactly this time last year. And, you know, they're sort of the unofficial symbol of Arizona and they're wilting under this heat. So we'll, we'll have a, an inside look at uh, some of the things that are causing that and also uh, what could be happening with regard to the North Atlantic Ocean. La- yesterday, 140 million Americans, Loren, were under some sort of heat advisory. It's it's nuts. I was my sister. My family lives in the states. Some of them, and I've been talking to them, and just said, "Is this as hot there as it is here?" Because you're trying to find that one space where it might be a little cooler. I know each day it fluctuates, it changes, like you know, based on how the ocean streams are moving. I get that, but it, but I don't know if you can find many spaces where it's people aren't exclaiming over the heat. I mean, you talk about the cactus. I mean, even even in my own front yard right now, I have a tree that I can I can't figure out what's wrong with it beyond that it's just 
struggling with the heat. The tree, I have uh, chives that grow in the front garden bed that can't be killed for the life of you. Like they, they spread like weeds. They look like they're dying and I'm watering stuff and it's still a struggle. So I just can't imagine what it must be like when they, when we're talking about weeks upon weeks in some of those southern states and even northern states that are struggling. When Winnipeg hosted the 1999 Pan Am Games, where were you, Loren? I was living in, where was I? Ottawa. I was here the summer of the pre-Pan Am Games. They had all those test events right. going on. So I got to attend a lot of those and cover some of those. Actually, I was um, working uh, for another publication. And so I got to do a lot of that. But I wasn't here for the actual games themselves, no. Well, the 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 incredible impact of the 99 Pan Am Games, you know, in the lead up to the games, I can remember being a listener to CJOB and Charles Adler was hosting the show from from nine until noon. And there was sort of this wonder about the Pan Am Games and whether or not Winnipeg were, were going to embrace it and Winnipeggers were going to attend. And, and there was just this sort of whole hum thing. And I can remember calling in and saying, you know, I get the sense right now. I understand why people aren't really sure about what's about to happen. But I think two weeks from now, we're going to look back and go, wow, what an event. And that's exactly what ended up happening. The weather was perfect from start to finish. Winnipeggers attended these events, Manitobans, those from around the world that came to visit at the same time. The games were a smashing success and we are on the brink of an event that's even larger than the Pan Am Games. It's one of the largest athletic events on the planet and it's coming to Winnipeg. The opening ceremonies are tonight. 707, we're going to get more into it. You heard a bit of it in the news run there with Tegan Rasha, but we're going to get more into this just after 7 to hear about what's going on, what kind of events. You can go see how you could participate if you want and you want to go watch. So that's at 7. And then at 8.37, we're going to talk about another event that's uh, captured the imaginations of Manitobans, the Sea Bears. Their final game is tomorrow night, a sellout, sold-out event, 8,000-plus people coming. And we're going to talk to the coach of the Sea Bears uh, in a couple hours' time, Greg. Yeah, Mike Taylor will join us in studio, and we'll get his take on how has this team captured the imagination of basketball fans in our province so quickly. The CEBL, this is a, a league that's been around for five years. This is its fifth season. Obviously, the Sea Bears are in their inaugural season, but they've taken the league by storm, not only off court with their never ending attendance uh, records, but also on the court. They're the top team in the league in terms of a record. They're 12 and seven. They're on the brink of clinching a playoff spot. They're looking to play a playoff game at home. So we'll speak to the coach. We'll have our weekly gab with Gabby. And of course, yesterday at 9.05, we announced the fact that the Jonas Brothers were coming to Winnipeg. We've got two tickets to that concert that we know is going to sell out very quickly. We'll tell you how you can win tickets to that event coming up in about a half hour's time. But we do want to take a peek at our local forecast and then the larger picture of what's going on with the weather in North America and around the world. It is the start. Greg Mackling, Loren McNabb with you. Tyson Rewicki and Master Control, Jeff Forche, getting a head start on his weekend. Thanks for spending some time with us. Good morning. It's Mackling and McNabb with you. McGarry returns on Monday as Phoenix, Arizona braces for its 29th consecutive day with a high temperature above 110 degrees Fahrenheit. Iconic Segura cacti are beginning 
to die. Yesterday, more than 140 million Americans were faced with heat warnings of some sort from the Pacific to the Atlantic. The word of the summer is hot, and it doesn't end on the beaches of the eastern seaboard, Loren. So the Gulf Stream system, the vital ocean currents running through the northern part of the Atlantic Ocean, there's warnings they could collapse soon due to the threat of global warming. And according to a new study published in the Journal of Nature, there's far more dire warnings as well. Eric Sorensen is a senior national affairs correspondent for Global National, and he explains what could happen with these currents, the likelihood of this occurrence, and the potential consequences. The major currents in the Atlantic Ocean move billions of tons of warm water north and cold water south, a powerful yet delicate exchange that balances the Earth's climate. But it could all collapse within years, according to a new study. Unlike gradual global warming, slowing or stopping the Atlantic's circulating currents could make parts of the northern hemisphere dramatically colder. It's happened before, says the study's author. The overturning circulation can be in an on state, which is what we are in now, and an off state, which was what happened in the in glacial times 12,000 years ago. You recall what you said about how polar melting might disrupt the North Atlantic current. Scientists say it wouldn't be like the Hollywood film where cities froze overnight, but changes could happen within a very few years. If this is going to happen, this is a complete change of climate. The warm waters in and around the Gulf of Mexico stream north and east toward Europe, a colossal heat pump. It's one reason Northern Europe is warmer than Northern Canada. The Gulf Stream system though, is part of the global conveyor belt that cycles warm and cold water currents around the planet among the most powerful forces on earth. But the overturning circulation in the Atlantic is being disrupted by global warming and by fresh water rapidly melting in the Arctic, affecting salinity and density that could slow or even stop the delicate balance in these currents. That tipping point disrupting the Gulf Stream would be felt everywhere, but especially in Europe, where temperatures could plunge several degrees. Northern Europe could see longer and colder winters, up to 10 degrees colder. But the bigger impact may be in sun-baked tropical regions, where the Earth's heat would stay and build, threatening billions unable to mitigate the impacts from a more sudden change in the climate. They're going to have a really big impact on t- in terms of farming, agriculture, food supply, water supply. Some of those regions are really struggling with that already. David Thornalley says it's too early to draw conclusions because other studies suggest a less than 10% probability that a tipping point will collapse the Atlantic currents in this century. Still, he adds, that's a 10% chance of something catastrophic. Eric Sorensen, Global News, Toronto. Loren, uh, the the associated uh, visuals with this story at globalnews.ca. Eric does a terrific job of breaking down this story. Yeah, you know, and I've been reading more about this this morning because it really is a dire warning about the planet. And, you know, the, when they talk about the currents in the Atlantic Ocean and the potential for, for it to collapse, it does make you think of that film, uh, The Day After Tomorrow. And that was one of the scenes in Eric's pieces. Most scientists are saying that the collapse is more like a unlikely scenario in the immediate future and, and potentially even this century. But they talk about it being this sort of tipping point, right? That as they look at what's going on out there, that we're really at a, the climate system and the future of it, we're seeing impacts now. And so we have to consider all the possibilities. I don't know, man, the, the possibility that we could get even hotter than what we've seen this summer and have that be that long extended period, like you're talking for Arizona. How many days? 
Uh, I believe today is the 29th day straight that they're forecasting. They've been 28 days above 110, 29th straight day, and it's uh, the forecast high today for Phoenix of 114. Yeah, so 114 is the number I was looking for, and and, and a full month of it. That's an, I I can't imagine. It's one thing to do a couple of days like this, but a full month, that's something else. We begin this half hour with crime, and I take a pause and a deep breath here, because what we're about to tell you now isn't going to surprise many of you, but perhaps... That's part of the problem. Perhaps we're becoming far too complacent whenever we hear statistics about the state of things in our province, particularly when it comes to crime. New numbers out from Statistics Canada show Manitoba has the worst crime severity index out of any province in Canada, although the territories are higher. The index jumped 14% in 2022. That's far above the national average where the climb was 4%, so it's more than triple what the national numbers showed. And in Winnipeg, the crime severity index is up 20%, which is the highest for any major city with this type of population. So if you're asking what is this index, it it measures the seriousness of crime. And it's based on actual sentences that are handed down by the courts. And then they're assigned higher weights, the more serious the crime and the the less serious offenses get lower weights. And as a result, um, the more serious crimes you have, like homicides, and we've had bad years for homicides in Winnipeg and Manitoba, you have a greater impact on the index. But we're up in a, in a number of categories, Greg, and, and also youth crime, which we t- touched on yesterday. Yes, and of course, uh, the police have been warning us for several years that they're seeing more violent crime on our streets, more guns on our streets, and that's now translating into more serious, uh, more serious incidents. And now there's always going to be some sort of an asterisk when we look at these recent years. We had a couple of years of on and off lockdowns where crime reporting was skewed, so that impacts the data when comparing the past couple of years. But the fact remains, Loren, that this index is up. It's up Canada-wide, and overall, this crime severity index is the worst it's been since 2007. Yeah, and we just mentioned the pandemics because, of course, when you when you measure, say, last year to the year prior, there's going to be a, maybe a jump or a difference in numbers. But overall, the number you just pointed out is important. It's, it's up and it's it's the worst it's been in 16 years. And of course, all this data dropped yesterday, which is when we learned some jaw-dropping news about a recent shooting involving a store owner who police say confronted someone who had allegedly just stolen a drink. And as Global's Iris Dick explains... That confrontation, this is a nightmare scenario for anyone in retail right now. That confrontation almost cost the employee his life. It happened Tuesday morning at Quickie Mart on Logan Avenue. Police say a man walked in, grabbed a drink, and then walked out without paying. The employee followed him out. He kind of dropped some things on the street, and then some other guy ran up to him. And then we saw the one guy whip out a handgun and shoot the other guy right in the stomach. Jacob Yoakum witnessed the attack while he was working nearby. And the one guy ran back and he sat on the step holding his stomach. And then cops showed up about a minute or two later. Police say the 21-year-old victim was taken to hospital in critical condition, but has since been upgraded to stable. I can say and confirm that his injuries, um, although they're not life-threatening at this time, are considered very, very serious and he has a long road to recovery. Constable Danny McKinnon says sawed-off shotguns are common in gun-related crimes in the city. She warns the public not to engage with shoplifters, but understands the frustration of watching thefts happen before your eyes. Human 
thoughts and uh, motivation often takes over. You want to help, you want to save, you want to retrieve, you want to protect. This incident, a reminder of what can happen. It was really shocking. I've never seen something like that before. WPS deployed a number of officers and police dogs to track down the suspect. They found him around 6 that evening at a Main Street residence. The 22-year-old suspect remains in custody and faces six charges, including armed robbery and attempted murder. Iris Dick, Global News. Loren, how many times have you had people have discussions with you or ask you the question over the last several months, maybe the last couple of years? Well, why? Why isn't there more security? Why aren't uh, those that are shoplifting confronted by security or by staff? This is why. This is why... The smallest operations to the largest corporations in our in our country that sell retail don't confront shoplifters. Uh, based on the shots that, in, in terms of the, the video that was shown in that story, this is just a, like a mom and, mom and pop shop, like a, a quickie mart on Logan. Uh, it's no doubt that at some point over the past few months or years, employees in that store, maybe the owners have just become super frustrated don't blame crime. them. Don't blame no. them at all. They right. got to be. They got to be exhausted by this. Right. And in all and in all areas of the city, right? This is was this not eleven a.m. or eleven thirty a.m. that this happened? Like it, you couldn't get more broad daylight. Yeah, than that. right in the middle of the day. And I don't care what neighborhood you point me to at eleven a.m. in any day, I do not expect some guy to when he steals a drink, according to police, to then turn and and fire a sawed-off shotgun at me and so you hear something like that and that's the why why people don't want to confront the thieves because of that kind of possibility and then you hear sawed off shotguns are common in crimes in winnipeg and then you hear we have the worst crime severity index and do we all just sort of turn away and think well yeah that's winnipeg yeah you know what and and sorry to bring this up at six thirty-five on a friday morning when you're trying to get ready for your weekend but you know this is discouraging especially when we have some very heartening things going on in our city right now this is just has the ability to to pull things right back down and and maybe a dose of reality but this whole incredible disregard for human life and for others is is overwhelming to me you know, this is somebody walked in, allegedly, took a drink, and then pulls out a gun when con- confronted. Like, are, are you kidding me? This is where we're at in 2023. We, we need to take some major steps to, to try and uh, rectify this situation because this is not just petty crime. This is petty crime mixed with a major crime in our city. And it's, uh, as I say, very disheartening. Right, just a tiny bit of sun peeking out the northwest corner. Mostly cloud out there as you get ready for your weekend. Loren McNabb, Greg Mackling with you. Brett McGarry returns on Monday. Sarah McCarthy has joined us. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning. You caught me drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> I do that for person. I used to do that as a waiter all the time. Yes. Just to come over and ask you how your meal was. And as of you're course. Eating. You had a mouthful of food because you were, of course, eating your meal. But it was part of the, uh, what did we call it at Chi-Chi's? It was called the, um, 
server sequence. There were a bunch of things that you had to do in a certain order, Loren. And if you didn't do them in a certain order and you had to, and you happened to be being critiqued, because they would send in these uh, equivalent of secret shoppers and they would mark you. And if you got a, a, a certain score, like a low score, QSR, I think it was called, quality service review. And if you got a, a, a low enough score, you could be fired over it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Like the customer service took that pretty seriously. Tyson Ruwicki and Master Control in for Jeff Forche, who I think is up in cottage country this weekend. And of course, McNabb and Mackling with you. Yesterday, the Jonas Brothers, I got a text message yesterday. Hold on here. I got to read it. It's going to go into my messages here about this announcement yesterday from a longtime friend of mine. And uh, it, go, it, it says this. Uh, waited impatiently for this major concert announcement only to find out it was the Jonas Brothers. Thank you for nothing. Oh, my God. There's so many. I feel like there's so many people potentially in this conversation that are excited about the Jonas Brothers. I'm excited. I think a lot of people are excited. Yeah. I can't name one Jonas Brothers song, (laughs) but I know enough to know that this is a big band. They were a really big band. Uh, for a lot of people for a long time, yes, I'm, I'm so far yeah. accurate. Yeah. So I know there'll be a lot of people that are excited about this. So, Loren, what are we asking this morning? Well, it just had me going down memory lane because I I can relate to anyone who's either, say, that a teenager who's like finding this band just now as they put new albums out or the one who might be 25 or 30. You know, they've been around for, I don't know, at least a decade. And so therefore you might be somebody who loved them as a teenager. And every one of us had a band at 14, 16, 10. I don't care. We want to ask you the band that when you were a teen, like those years where you were just in the basement, giving her, (laughs) who would you go see now? You know, regardless of the age, whether they still exist, whether they're still alive or other, the band you would see from your youth. Okay, let's go around the horn. Let's start with you, Sarah McCarthy, Dryden, Ontario Zone. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. So the boy band of my teen years was One Direction. So one member had already left by the time I got to see the group at IG Field in Winnipeg. I believe it was 2015. It was grade 10, grade 11, something like that. They're broken up now. They're all off doing their own things. But uh, if they did a reunion tour, I'd definitely go. Were you allowed to go? Did you go by yourself? Sorry, No, I went with my cousins. It was a fun trip, you know, all coming up from Dryden to the city. And Did your parents (laughs) come with you or were you allowed to go? They were there too. My dad dad was even there. So So there was was lots of dads there. Was that the one with Harry Styles? It is. You're correct. Yep. Harry Styles, Niall Horan. Those are like the most successful ones of the my, group my now, brother but. and my my niece went to Los Angeles last Ooh. year to see Harry Styles I bet he'd be good really. and it was apparently a spectacular concert yeah. so I would if One Direction were to come mm-hmm. you know and reunite I guess I might have to go and check that out as well I think you should all right Loren McNabb what about you Okay, so I'm going to play two things here because um, this first one is one that I loved as a teenager. My sister got to go see them when she was in grade nine. She went with a friend. I was I, Either I was left out of it or deemed not old enough. But either way, when I turned 40, my sister brought me to Minneapolis for these just delightful people. <laughs> 
That, of course, is the new kids on the block. Uh, they were as good then as, I mean, I'm sure they were far better <laughs> 25 years earlier. Are you sure? Were, are you sure? They were fantastic. I've never, it was just full of women like me, you know, late 30s, 40s, just giving her, and they were, and they made fun of themselves. So it was kind of fun because they still did the routines, but they admitted to, you know, having to work on it. But then when I was thinking about this this morning, the band that I really loved when I was, say, my 10, 11, 12, where I had the cassette, because that would have been it, and my girlfriend Shauna and I like memorized all the words to, I would love to see them. It's not possible because of uh, George Michael no longer being with us, but... Oh. <gasps> So apologies, I'm working from home today. That's Wham. I'm your man. And actually, a lot of their songs, I'm surprised we were allowed to listen to them because I couldn't find a section of that song that just wasn't super, super sexy. And so, so I, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Kudos to mom and dad for just letting that one go. We just probably had no idea what we we're singing, but I would love to see Wham again. Yeah, well, if my mother-in-law is listening this morning and there's a really good chance, uh, mom, go and check out Poison's Eat em and Smile because Jackie to this day cannot believe that that album was allowed into her house <laughs> yes. based on some of the yes. lyrics oh, uh, yes. in some of their songs. So mom, I uh, hate to burst your bubble, but that uh, <laughs> that album never ever should have uh, entered the front door. What about you, Ruicky? Oh, well, mine, I actually got to see mine probably like six years ago now. And uh, it was the Chili Peppers. Ooh. And I, I used to have an iPod shuffle too. And my brothers would never let me download my own music because I would just riddle the computer with viruses. <laughs> so I just kind of listened to, I just had to choose what they listened to. And so I just had my iPod shuffle and there was a full, I forget what, I think it was Stadium Arcadium. That yep. was a full album. That was pretty much the only music I could listen to on the shuffle. So <laughs> just grew up grew up a big Peppers fan. I got to see him. It was awesome. Was that here in Winnipeg? Yeah, here right here in Winnipeg. They didn't have a uh, John Frusciante as guitarist, mm. wow. which kind of stunk. But you should ask for your money back then. <laughs> All right. So this one, this is a band that I've mentioned before, and I I love the reaction that I get and that we get on the text line whenever I play this song. Uh, this takes me back uh, to grade nine. I was doing mini university one summer oh, yes. out at the University of Manitoba, and I was listening to uh, to another station, a rock and roll station in our city. Howard Manshine played this song. Oh, who's that? Why, that's Kickaxe. Where are those guys? Where can I find them? I gotta see them. Where are they? Well, they're on the road to... So that's, that's On the Road to Rock by Kickaxe. And I literally picked up the phone and phoned Howard Manchine and did what that animated vice in the video did and said, who is that again? Because I love this song. The next day I went to the university bookstore. I bought the album. I listened to it beginning to end multiple times, both sides. And I finally got to see them about a year later at the Winnipeg Arena, White Snake. Kickaxe and Quiet Riot. White Snake was terrific. Quiet Riot was absolutely deplorable. They were awful. And Kickaxe was spectacular. And I haven't seen them since. I understand they're going to be in Minnedosa August oh, long weekend. Really? So. Road trip. I might, might have to uh, get in the car and literally get on the road to rock. Do it.
204-780-6868. The bands you saw when you were a teenager that you'd love to see again. Or maybe the bands like Quiet Riot, who you saw as a teenager. And for me, I don't care if I ever see them again. We'd love to send you to see the Jonas Brothers. We've got two tickets up for grabs this morning on the start. Sarah McCarthy will take a sip of water and bring you Global News next at 7 o'clock. start this hour with the police and fire games. The countdown is on to an event that's drawing several thousand people to this province, Loren. And I love it when people develop websites that actually put that physical countdown on there, right? So we have 11 hours, 21 minutes, 7 seconds, 6 seconds, 5. The countdown for the World Police Fire Games is on because it gets underway officially tonight. Mike Edwards is the Chief Operating Officer for the Games and joins us now. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for taking the time. This is super cool, and I know there's been so much hype coming into it. What? How does this work? Are these uh, these? They all come from backgrounds of law enforcement, police, or they're in the firefighting world. Were they athletes before they got into these careers, or just started training mid-career? Is it a bit of both? It's a combination of both. We have everything from uh, what we call your weekend warrior to former Olympic athletes that have. <clears throat> pardon me. Uh, went into a uh, first responder profession after their athletic career. This is a, a, a huge, huge event, obviously, Mike, and I've been interested about the dynamic, uh, not only with regard to, you know, these athletes and, and, and the individuals that do what they do, but isn't there typically a little bit of a rivalry between firefighters and police officers? Yeah, you can feel that ingrained. It is a friendly rivalry, but uh, it is definitely ingrained. Uh, and sometimes it even comes down to the city where you'll have, say, Calgary Police and Calgary Fire. Uh, they're going to have softball teams that are playing each other. And uh, there's bragging rights in their city when they come together and do that. And then at the same time, uh, over the years, rivalries uh, have, de- have developed between countries as well. So the Spanish Police Department and uh, the Brazilian Police Department, when it comes to something like soccer or stair race, it develops over the years, so all of those come together when the athletes come to these games year after year after year. So let's talk about the people that are coming, where they're coming from, and sort of uh, the numbers that you're expecting, Mike. Well, we have athletes registered from 70 countries already, um, and we do get some registrations uh, on the day of, uh, depending on the sport, if, uh, if it allows for it. And we are seeing uh, an immense amount of people coming in uh, from uh, anywhere from Europe to South America, all through North America, uh, even all the way down to Australia has a pretty strong contingent. And uh, uh, India has uh, a really, really strong contingent as they love these games and they just their participation grows and grows every single year. So what's the purpose here? 1985 was the first event of its kind, then it goes every two years. The pandemic sort of messed that up. And going through the list of cities that have hosted these games, Vancouver a couple times, Calgary, and then, you know, some really big cities around the world, including uh, New York. But, you know, this this helps put Winnipeg on the map uh, in one respect. But the idea that, that this event is probably the biggest event we've really hosted, maybe getting lost in the shuffle here, Mike. 
It really is. Uh, you know, the Pan Am at 1999, the last big event that was here when it comes to these major internationals, uh, it, it is a very prominent event. Uh, the World Police Fire Games Federation likes to say this is the best kept secret. The size and scope of this event is massive. Uh, there are more athletes in this in this event than uh, have been at anything else that Manitoba has ever hosted. So at the end of the day, this is the largest sporting event Manitoba has ever and probably will ever host uh, when we have over 8,500 participants coming from those 70 countries. It really does put Winnipeg on the map and puts them in the eye of the rest of the world as a premier host city. So it gets underway tonight with the opening ceremonies starting. Uh, give us all the ways we can participate, uh, you know, in terms of wanting to even watch those ceremonies or watching some of the events. Yeah, biggest thing is, is uh, and I know as Winnipeggers, we all love to hear this, uh, participation is free. Uh, come out, uh, there are no ticketing fees. Uh, spectating is free. Uh, you can check out our website, WPFG2023.com. It has a list of all the sports, all the times, and all the venues. Uh, and then for opening ceremonies, we're inviting all the public down to come cheer on the athletes as they go down their parade along Carleton Street between the Convention Centre and uh, Canada Life Center, and we may still have some tickets available that we'll have some uh, team members out in the crowd handing those out, but tickets have been uh, going pretty fast, and those are free as well. But we've been uh, directing those towards uh, first responders that are unable to uh, participate uh, or unable to volunteer. All of our volunteers, we're making sure they have access to tickets, uh, as well as the athletes and the family and friends. The one key piece about this event is that the athletes pay their own way, so the economic impact is massive when it comes to 8,500-plus participants spending money at hotels, at restaurants, um, at tourist destinations. That money is going to go so far in the community. That is one of the big things that we are super proud of, and that is incredibly unique about this event, that we are able to give back to the city of Winnipeg, especially after the rest of the world. We're all still recovering from the pandemic. This is one way we get to infuse back into the community. That's a great point, Mike. It's a really, really a good timing on this for for Manitoba's hospitality industry. Three really quick questions. How many events again? How many uh, different sports? 63 different sports over 41 different venues. And how can people uh, look up where those events are are happening? Uh, Check out our website, WPFG2023.com. Just go under the tab for athletes where it says sport, and it'll give you all the details. Just pick your sport, pick your schedule, and then head out to the venue. And uh, Cornhole, uh, is this one you're going to be checking out? Because, uh, I mean, I love to play the game, but it's something special to watch individuals who are really good at that game play it. Yeah, you know what? It is one that I'm going to watch. Our operations team created a fantastic atmosphere for it in the design that they've done. Um, and you are not wrong. There are people that take it very seriously and they get into it. Um, and then there are, like I said, the weekend warriors that are just like, ah, I guess I'll try cornhole um, and give it a whirl. So you're going to get the best of both worlds, the people that do it in the backyard and then the people that take it very seriously and enter into these competitions. Okay, Mike, I think we'll be speaking with you throughout the the next several days. Congratulations. Good luck with this event. Uh, Mike Edwards, Chief Operating Officer, World Police Fire Games, opening ceremonies tonight. And how long, Loren? Hang on. I had the countdown on. 11. Ah, it's skipping on me. 11 hours-ish. 11 hours-ish. Thanks again, Mike. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. We're talking music this morning as we try and lighten the load a little bit, lighten the conversation. So many heavy things this week. It's Mackling McNabb. McGarry returns on Monday. We do have heavy conversation throughout the morning, but we are having fun. We're inviting your text messages 
about the bands that you'd like to see again, the ones you saw as a teenager, whether those bands are around anymore or not, or maybe there's a band you saw as a teenager and you never want to see them again. Guns N' Roses opened for the cult at Winnipeg Arena, I want to say it was 1988, maybe 87. They were not very good, but I've seen them a couple of times since. They are pretty good, but I've seen video now. <laughs> Axl Rose maybe not singing very well on this latest tour. You can check it out for yourself. I'm not going to tell you what to think. Uh, question of the day, Loren, that's an opportunity for our listeners to weigh in on the question. And right now we're asking, have you ever witnessed someone shoplift or conduct a robbery? And uh, 60% say, yes, I've seen it. And 8% say, yes, I've intervened. Oh, wow. And, and we're talking about that this morning because, of course, of that incredibly disturbing story of the convenience store clerk who police say tried to stop a guy from stealing a drink on Logan Avenue in his convenience store on Logan Avenue. And police say that's when this uh, suspect turned and pulled out a shot, sawed off shotgun and shot him. And so that intervention question is a big one. Like we, we we've heard it over and over again over the past couple of years. We can't do it. And we shouldn't do it. But that instinct is hard. And when it's something small, like a, you know, there, there, there was a broad daylight, 11 a.m. And so it's super brazen. But at the same time, it's this drink. It's a, so you could see just turning to that person and, and wanting to just go, no, like that's, that's not on. Like, don't do that. But I don't think anybody would ever imagine then being turned on with, with a gun, like a sawed off shotgun. It's, it's just crazy what this story shows us in terms of, as you said, that disregard for human life, Greg. And I think the fact that we have so many people who witness shoplifting might be something to do with the era of the liquor store mm. thefts. You know, I myself uh, saw the tail end of one. And in that case, they were arrested and stopped in that circumstance because there had been a police officer in the store. But witnessing it is one thing. The, the thought of stopping to do something is another. And that's the sad state of facts in this province right now that you're really not supposed to. And that instinct to intervene, I think is heightened. You know, you mentioned the fact that allegedly this incident involved a, a soft drink or an energy drink or, or something like that. But just like most of the arguments you have with your spouse, your partners, your friends, that's not what the argument is about. What you, you know, it's a buildup of things over time, typically, and that, and there's a tipping point in that relationship or that friendship or, or, or that environment where you're subjecting yourself to these things over and over again. And for this business owner or this clerk, it just might have been, you know what? I'm done. I'm done watching this happen over and over again. So it wasn't likely about this one particular incident, more likely the fact that it's something that's happening on a continual basis. And so the conversation this morning about crime, the severity crime index, Winnipeg leads the country on that front yet again. So your take on that 204-780-6868 and question of the day brought to you by, uh, where is the question of the day i had it here question of the day sponsor mr furnace i thought well, it's disappeared on me these computers are acting up for loren at home loren you're not alone in that the computers are acting up here for everybody uh, at 201 portage as well question of the day is have you ever witnessed someone shoplift or conduct a robbery and uh on the text line we also want to uh 
Give a shout out to Grant or Deborah who sent me this text message uh, earlier this morning. Greg, you would have absolutely loved Kickbacks back in their bar days. Saw them dozens of times. Their version of the cover songs they did were fantastic. So were their originals. One time singer George Kristen wrote a Harley through the Black Knight when they performed Born to be Wild. Good times. And again, the question is about the idea of the band that you would see at their best. Because I, too, get it. I, I've seen, who was I? I saw Motley Crue, and that was a lot of huffing and puffing on stage. That was about 15 years ago, so long after they were at their height or their peak. I did see Poison. That was pretty good. Uh, I think Skid Row, are they not also playing at class, like the Rock Fest in Minnedosa? Did I hear, get that right? What's that, Loren? Is Skid Row not playing at the Rock Fest in Yeah, Minnesota? they are. Same night That's as Kick-Ax. That's another band I'd like to Kick-Ax. see. I think I only really know two of their songs, but some of that late 80s, early 90s rock, there's a couple songs I'd love to see again. I And I and I'm only if they're at least as 70% as good as they were 25 years ago. Yeah, I think it's, uh, how are they framing it? I think it's Sebastian Bach uh, or uh, with uh, Kid Rock, or with Kid Rock, with Skid Row. Kid Rock. Right. Yeah, Kid Rock opened for Bon Jovi once upon a time. Anyway, the latest edition of the Couch Potatoes podcast dropped yesterday afternoon. Brett McGarry, even though he's on his holidays, and Jeff Braun collaborate on this weekly look at the world of movies and television, Loren. Yeah, we're going to listen now to what's coming up and also a review from Jeff Braun, and it's got no spoilers in it, of Oppenheimer. I didn't have time to get to two movies, so Barbie will have to wait until next week, but I did go this week to see Oppenheimer. Are we saying there's a chance that when we push that button, we destroy the world? Detonator's charged. I don't know if we can be trusted with such a weapon. But I know the Nazis can't. Three, two, one. Oppenheimer in theaters this summer. Now, first off, I should point out that I saw this on a regular screen, no IMAX branded screenings for me, and I don't feel like I missed anything, although the people that did see it on a bigger screen say it's absolutely worth it. Uh, I thought there was just one scene that was kind of spectacular enough to warrant that sort of thing, and it didn't even actually feel that spectacular, to be honest, but maybe if I had seen it in IMAX, I'd feel differently. Nevertheless, my point is it's a great movie, even on a regular size screen. It's a three-hour biopic about a scientist that we probably all knew the name of and what his main accomplishment in life was inventing the nuclear bomb but if you're like me you probably knew literally nothing about the man going in it's not a cradle to the grave kind of biopic and thank god for that those usually have a really boring 30 minutes at the beginning of whoever it's about being a child this is not that and frankly what christopher nolan has crafted is pretty amazing um he is anyone who's seen any of his movies well knows cannot bring himself to tell a straightforward linear story and so we get three timelines running concurrently through the movie one of which is in black and white the color scenes are uh, of Oppenheimer's perspective. The black and white is not. Though these or through these timelines, we see the relevant part of Oppenheimer's life as it pertains to the Manhattan Project, which was the development of the world's first nuclear bomb, which would, of course, be used against Japan at the end of World War II. So we see the development of the ideas involved in creating such a thing, the actual project, and then, of course, the aftermath and how it affected Oppenheimer and the world at large. He, of course, is credited with making the bomb, but obviously he didn't get much say in how it was used, and there's a lot of material covering that aspect. There's a lot of material in the movie, period. It's 
incredibly dense. It is mostly men in suits talking, scientists and politicians, and it doesn't do much in the way of hand-holding. Although Matt Damon, as a military general, does a great job at dishing out exposition, he's here to entertain us and entertain us he does. He feels kind of like he's in a different movie a lot of the time, but his final scene is maybe the most touching moment in the what's otherwise a pretty cold movie. The real magic trick that Nolan pulls off here, though, is that his three-hour biopic featuring scientists and senators is maybe the most gripping movie I've seen this year. The editing and the score by Ludwig Goranson propel the movie at a terrific pace. It just flew by. It's maybe the fastest three hours I've seen maybe ever, certainly in a long time. Thank you, Jeff. And to find out how Jeff rated the movie, Oppenheimer, tune in to The Couch Potatoes at noon tomorrow and or Sunday at noon on 680 CGOB or simply download, subscribe to the Couch Potatoes podcast. You'll get it automatically. Brett Reviews Season 3, Volume 2 of The Witcher. That's on Netflix. That and much else. And Loren, we have to announce this week's winner of the Couch Potatoes contest. I just, you know, every time I read potatoes, it gives me a great laugh, okay? So the Couch Potatoes winner. And once again, we've got these computer issues, so give me a second, but it's going to Andrea Barely. Receiving tickets and treats voucher for Landmark Cinema. And last week we asked the question, Barbie just hit the big screen. What's another movie based on a toy line that you enjoy taking out of the box? The results were Transformers, Lego Movie, Dungeons and Dragons, and Trolls. Number one there, Transformers. Right on. This week's question, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem kicks its way into theaters August 2nd. What's another notable ninja movie you loved? Your options, Kill Bill, Volume 1, Beverly Hills Ninja, The Lego Nin- Ninja- Ninjago, is that, is that how you say it, Tyson? Ninjago? Ninjago. Yeah, I think your guess yeah. is as good as mine. All right, and the, the last Samurai. Oh, they did? Okay, cool. All the Lego movies are great, especially the Batman one. Go to CGOB.com to place your vote and for your chance to win a ticket and treats back from our friends at Landmark Cinemas as well. Don't forget the question of the day while you're there for Mr. Furness. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furness 204-832-6243. It's about crime and witnessing crime. And one of our listeners, Giselle, says, I've witnessed too many thefts in the last 40 years and intervened many years ago, but now will not intervene. I've mentioned before, not too long ago, that theft is out of control. It's not just a couple of items. It's shopping carts full. Giselle concludes, not good. Agreed with you there. It's not a scientific poll, Loren, but it's a good snapshot of what's going on in our community. Our question of the day at cgob.com brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace 204-832-6243 asks this. Have you ever witnessed someone shoplifting or witnessed a robbery? And the results show that 60% of people have witnessed something like that. And 8% of you said, yes, I intervened. And we're talking about the intervention component because as we know, there has there's a man in hospital recovering from what could have been a life-ending injury. He worked at the convenience store on Logan Avenue when police say he saw someone walk in and allegedly try to steal a drink. We don't know if it's a soft drink or whatever. doesn't matter. Police say he confronted the person, and that's when this suspect, police say, pulled out a sawed-off shotgun and shot him. And, and he he's now in hospital in recovery. Police say he should be okay, but this will change his life forever. And it has many talking this morning about that intervention component. We know retail theft has been a problem in this province. And for more, we're joined by John Graham, who is the Director of Government Relations for the Prairies for the Retail Council of Canada. Good morning, John. Good morning. 
I know you and your team, and you've been working with all sorts of different officials to try to figure out what to do about retail theft in this province. And I want to get to some of that action in a moment. But first, when you hear a story like this, my first thought was this is broad daylight, 11 a.m., and this is exactly what you can bet so many store owners, entrepreneurs have been worrying about for years. Oh, it's a terrible, terrible situation. And uh, you're right, it doesn't follow the, the typical pattern uh, you know, low price item being shop left, uh, lifted with uh, such violence, just a terrible situation. We appeal for that employee and it's often uh, the the priority focus of retailers now is the discussing protocols. What, what, what should you do when you see situation, uh, an item being stolen, you know, an incident in your stores, uh, just a terrible situation. Uh, John, I'm going to read a text message from you. It's Greg here. Uh, the, the, that uh, I'm going to leave the name of the store out of it in the location just for obvious reasons here. But Brian says, I-, I-, I watched a theft last year. This guy and girl were working together. They had a run in with a security off- officer who asked them to leave or asked him to leave. Not more than five minutes later, as we were waiting in the checkout line to pay for our stuff, a woman casually walked out of the store with a duffel bag full of stuff. She walked out, she turned around, laughed at the people watching her and her partner right behind her. He was the decoy. And the clerk said to me, we were told not to do anything and just let them leave with whatever they took from the store. So is that the most common approach? I I know it feels like we're telling tales out of school and, and maybe giving away the secret sauce here, but I don't think this is a secret anymore, is it, John? Well, I think that uh, certainly retailers have introduced a lot of technology so that uh, you may not be uh, pursuing that individual in the moment, but you certainly have it on camera and can work with police to identify it often. Th- those, you know, that example you described likely is uh, hitting several different stores, and, and with police you can build a, a prosecutable uh, file. Uh, but, you know, I, part of the training that's going on now in a lot of, in particular larger stores, is identifying when do you approach, how do you approach, when do you just let things go, as uh, as that example was that you just read uh, suggested. And so it's not, a, it's not open season. It feels like that for a lot of employees and customers and certainly retailers. Uh, but there are systems in place to try to deter and detain people when incidents do occur. We've been talking about this for for at least a couple of years with you now, John, and I know we're not immune to this. We're seeing a lot of property theft, other kinds of retail theft right across this country. And and we have a crime severity index out this week showing that Manitoba has the second highest rate in the country. And, And we saw the worst jump last year. And that has lots to do with those really severe crimes. And I think too often when we hear about the retail theft, we just think, well, at least nobody got hurt. But now we have the story of someone getting hurt. And so if you're a a store owner out there this morning, what should you be thinking? Is it time to take another look at plans or is this really an isolated incident in your mind of this sort of severe reaction? Well, it's not a very common uh, incident, fortunately. Uh, I think that it's uh, retail theft and retail violence is a serious issue Uh, and uh, and we have long believed that you need to focus on those most prolific, most violent incidents and individuals uh, in stores. And and recently we've you know we had a meeting. Uh, we brought together like Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto police services across Canada. A number of police services uh, came together and started to talk about proactive strategies and 
uh, ways that we're doing retail. Winnipeg didn't participate in that. Uh, and, and we think that there's the real, we really, this is the time for Winnipeg uh, police services to, uh, to work with us closer and uh, start to really go after uh, strategies that create safer retail environments. Uh, but what would that look like, in, John, like that, uh, that closer relationship or the, the, the better strategies? What would that look like in your mind? Yeah, well, you know, Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto are looking at ways to identify, use technology to identify the various incidents that are occurring in stores to really target those most prolific uh, incidents. There's uh, retail blitzes where we know specific stores, specific areas of the city are most frequented by certain individuals. We can tell you who those top 100 are. Uh, and so focusing on that, working on training uh, around knowing when to approach and how to approach people so that incidents like earlier this week at that convenience store uh, happen less often. Uh, and uh, and just better ways of working with police to closing that gap of communication between retailers who are frustrated that police feel like they're not listening or they feel that and police who say, well, you know, we're, we're doing the best we can and just lots of ways to work closer uh, if given the opportunity. I think it's ironic that one of the reasons the police can't be there when retailers might want them to be is because they're busy uh, dealing with uh, more serious offenses and it just seems to snowball. I can remember a conversation we had with you before the pandemic, John. We were talking about shoplifting. We were talking about uh, theft uh, in the retail setting. And the fact that you told us that there were retailers that were bypassing Winnipeg even though they were expanding operations elsewhere. Uh, that really was an eye-opener for me when you told me that. And yesterday we spoke to Sal Burroughs, who is bothered by the fact that the, that the city and the province won't necessarily talk about crime as an emergency or a crisis. Are, are we approaching that mode now if, if we weren't already in it, John? I, like, I love my city. I, I'm a proud Winnipegger, but uh, it's so disappointing when I'm talking to national retailers who have decided to close a store because of safety issues, not because of economic issues, but safety issues, uh, you know, that, that their profits are walking out the door through shoplifting every day. And they just couldn't, it didn't, they couldn't sustain themselves. Retailers just say, oh, we're, we're thinking of holding off any expansions in Winnipeg because of, well, you know, those safety issues, the retail crime, and it, it crushes me, those conversations I have, because we've got tons of potential, And uh, but you're right, retailers are making decisions about store expansions and closures because of this issue. John Graham, Retail Council of Canada, thank you for the time, we appreciate it. My pleasure, take care. Your feedback, 204-780-6868. I'm going to share a text from a mom who has two daughters working in different retail stores and the things and the stories they come home with, right? And so it's not just a, an issue for the stores, for their owners, for the loss. There's employee safety in mind, and, and there's kids working in a lot of these stores. And I, and I believe the victim in this Logan Avenue was 21, if I've got that right. I mean, that's a that's you know a young man just trying to earn a living. So we'll get more into this throughout the morning on 680 CGOB. We're going to pause and check your weather next. We'd love, love 
to uh, have your uh, feedback on our conversation with John Graham. Loren, we were just in a meeting with our colleagues and and do you think I was off base in suggesting that's as frustrated as, as uh, we've ever heard John Graham with regard to, to crime shoplifting in our community? Well, it was just the idea that, you know, you're looking for action and they've done all sorts of things. They've they've brought committees together and they've had roundtables and they've had discussions and, and retailers have done all sorts of things to change the way they deal with the theft. And now there's questions about, OK, when you hear about someone being shot, trying to stop someone, according to police, from taking a, a, a can of Coke or whatever the heck the drink was, you, it now raises things to another level. And yes, that's an extreme reaction. We We haven't heard a ton like that but we have heard bear spray being used in stores knives being pulled people being robbed with machetes and that kind of thing and so well what's next you know he's throwing your hands up in the air and saying what's the action here and i think that's where just many are coming from and and we're going to get more into this in our next segment we got some text from a listener i want to share too because it really does impact all of us like there's the cost that they have to apply to make security changes there's the cost of the theft itself if you let all sorts of things be taken from a store does that then increase the cost? And then there's the employees, the employee safety. So we'll continue that chat in about 10 minutes. Your feedback at 204-780-6868. But to start this half hour, we do want to have a little bit of fun. When Winnipeg was finally awarded a CEBL franchise, there were some who wondered, why? Why do we need another pro sports team in Winnipeg? There were many more who wondered, why did that take so long? As the Canadian Elite Basketball League works its way through its fifth season, first-year franchise Winnipeg Seabears are leading the standings and crushing attendance records. It's an environment the home team relishes. Canada Life Centre fans becoming a loud teal and white mob. The energy that they bring into the, the building on every night, every game night, is, uh, has, been, has been amazing so far. So it's been, been a big factor in, uh, in our success. The Winnipeg Sea Bears are the newest team in the Canadian Elite Basketball League and are sitting at the top of their conference with a 12-7 record, with playoffs just around the corner. It's a feat head coach Mike Taylor is pleased with. In general, the way the, the organization has run from David on down, I think, has given us a great you know, starting point. Um, but, you know, you know, you try to develop it, you hope it works, uh, and we're really proud that uh, we've had the success that we've had. Coach Mike Taylor joins us in studio this morning. Good morning, Coach. Good morning. It's great to be here with you guys. Talk a little Sea Bears basketball. Well, I'm actually going to my first game tomorrow where more than 8,000 people will be in attendance and the kids are excited. They've got their sea bear hats and I, you know, I'm, I'm, Tegan used the word that you're pleased with the success. I think you can be a bit more effusive than that. I mean, this is on court, off court attendance success all around, Coach Taylor. Yeah, pleased is conservative. <laughs> Let's say we, we're absolutely, you know, so thankful and appreciative for the way the team has been received in the city. Uh, Winnipeg is a big league sports town. The fans have been wonderful. Uh, all the attendance records, you know, you can't really plan for that. Uh, we, we tried to put together a good team. We try to run it the right way, establish ourselves, connect with the community. But, the, you know, the way the team is, you know, the fans have filled the Canada Life Center and, and has been received has been something special. So uh, I absolutely love it. And I'm very, very thankful for, for all the support. We, we as a team are, are all thankful for the support from the city. This is a unique market on so many uh, phases and from so many aspects. Uh, you know, the Canadian Football League is incredibly successful here. It's very popular. You know, I'm going to leave the Jets out of the discussion because they were away for a long time and, and the passion for NHL hockey is unmistakable. The Winnipeg Gold Eyes have been sort of the flagship franchise of the league that the different leagues that they 
they've been in for 25 years. And you mentioned David Asper. So how much does that impact the ability to for the players to do what they want to do, for you to do what you want to do for those players, you know, when you don't have to worry about the quality of the pregame meal or the accommodations? Walk us through some of the thing, things that David has done to, to make sure that this is a, an experience that limits the distractions, so to speak. Yeah, David is such a, a key part of this. His vision to start with, you know, this is his vision. Uh, all of his experience, you know, in, in the CFL years, you know, involved with the Blue Bombers. Um, you know, we wanted to try to make this a wonderful uh, player's experience here in Winnipeg. And, you, and it starts off with this: the Canada Life Center is the best venue in the league. The Sport for Life uh, Center is the best practice facility in the league. So you have a really high standard that is set. But I think what puts it over the top is the way the, the organization, we've tried to take care of the players and treat them as people. Uh, we've gone above and beyond. And the players that have played in other organizations in the league, you know, I, I was in Vancouver last year. Like, we can tell you firsthand, like, this is a great situation. People are taken care of as people. And that all starts with David. Um, you know, and I, I really believe that, you know, that's the way you run an organization. That's the you, you care about the people involved and you take care about the people involved. And I think those values are the key things to match. For me as a coach and general manager, you need to match the values of the people that you work with. And for David, he's been fantastic. I think the players we all, and staff, we all appreciate it. And I think people can see that um, kind of filter through in, in when they are around the team and the people involved. You know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers went a long time without winning a, a championship. I don't know if you know that or not. They went 29 years without a Grey Cup. And there was a turnaround about five years ago. And the word that keeps coming up in association with the Blue Bombers is culture. Is that applicable here, Coach? Well, of course. I think if you've been around winning teams and around the best teams in different leagues all over the world, the the culture is really more important than the talent. Um, so we've tried to build a positive uh, team-first environment. We've tried to, to take care of people, respect people. And if you look at our roster, you know, we, we have not signed anybody outside that was planned. A lot of teams in this league will just try to load up for talented players the last – few games before the playoffs but you know from our experience and dealing with people we want to try to build up a team that knows how to play together uh, we've kept our group together um, we've invested in the players we've invested in our team and we believe that's going to pay us back so along the same lines as the blue bombers caring about their guys and taking care of their guys uh, we want to be a people first team first organization uh, and we really made that a priority here in our first year Let's talk about some of the people on the players, Coach Taylor. For those just joining, we're speaking to Coach Mike Taylor of the Winnipeg Sea Bears because there's the connection to the community or the game itself or just the fun you might have. But the players play a big role in making a person feel seen, you know, like not just because they're good at what they do, but their connection to the community. Yeah, again, you know, the, the fans can identify with our guys because they've been here from the beginning. They've been successful. They're a fun team to watch. Uh, we've got some really talented guys. Um, but you know, what I've also, and we have also appreciated has been, uh, how much investment and in, in work they've done with our sea bear summer series, working with kids. Um, you know, they've done some boys and girls clubs appearances. They've done certain things throughout the summer that may go unnoticed. You know, you show up at the gym at the Canada life center and you see these guys running up and down the floor, scoring points and, and everybody's excited, but we've really given the, the, I think the city a great effort in terms of giving back. And I'm really proud of the effort individually our players have done along those lines as well. 
Okay, so how can you do any better than having, you know, one of your stars is Teddy Allen, Teddy Bear. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you couldn't have written a better script for a Disney movie if you'd tried. He seems to be shooting, Teddy does seem to be shooting the lights out uh, most nights. But it, it's not a one-man, it's not a man one-man wrecking crew. No, you know, we tried to build te- uh, a team where the pieces fit. And I think when the guys, I said this quite a bit, when the guys sat in the locker room in the training camp, they looked around. Everyone was a little different. Everybody brought a little something different to the team. Uh, And I think that helped with the role delineation. It helped them appreciate, you know, their role, their place in the team, and it helped them appreciate what their teammates were doing. Teddy is by by far and away the leader of the team. Uh, He's a talented player. Uh, one of the league's leading scorers. Uh, I think the fans have been amazed at some of the his ability and talent to score the ball. Um, but what we've loved about Teddy is, you know, he's been really coachable. He's been a great teammate. Uh, he's responded well to feedback. At the beginning of the season, he was kind of forcing it a little bit, and he's gotten more and more efficient uh, and, you know, made plays for his teammates and done a lot of different things, you know, to help improve his game throughout the summer. So Teddy will get a lot of the attention, but we've had – you know, EJ Anasike, a strong power forward, do great things for us. We've had, you know, Jelani Watson-Gale, a uh, dynamic guard from the UK, come in and make a lot of great plays. AJ Hess does a lot of the blue-collar work. I kind of call him the glue guy, a shooter, defender, rebounder. You know, hometown Chad Posthumous, big physical guy in the middle, doing a lot of the dirty work. Uh, Glenn Yang on the point, you know, he's done a great job organizing the team and, and you know, getting the ball to guys at the right times. And we've had, you know, Simon Hildebrand, a U-sport player, do really well as a 19-year-old in the league. Uh, you know, the players, the rest of the players off the bench, when they're called upon, they've they've stepped in and, and really helped the team. So as a coach, I couldn't be more proud of these guys. It's been a fun summer, and uh, we're really looking forward to finishing it strong. As you have to do as a coach, <laughs> keep my eyes on the clock. So the shot clock is winding down for us here, Coach. But I do want to ask you something real quick. I, I had the good fortune to sit in the second row of a Vancouver Grizzlies game once upon a time behind the Golden State Warriors bench, and the coach at the time was Don Nelson, legendary NBA coach. His uh, timeout was winding down, and uh, he knocked over a cup of water while he was knelt down. And of course, then, you know, the, 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 the cleanup crew had to come over and he bought himself an extra few seconds. Have you got a trick? That you can share with us, maybe well, that we, we can we can watch out for that. No, those that, are the, that, that those other are the coaches of the trade. do. <laughs> those are the tricks of the trade. You can't you can't divulge your tricks because then people will you know know you're doing it. You know, but no, when you're around the game a lot, you see those little little situations that happen. Um, but you know, like right now, we're really focusing our energy on just establishing the Sea Bears and trying to do things the right way and. Uh, be a first-class organization. So no tricks up our sleeve right now. We're just trying to win some games. That's all. Coach, we appreciate this more than you know. Uh, we know you're busy. Mike Taylor, head coach of the Winnipeg Sea Bears tomorrow night. Their, their season finale at Canada Life Center. It's going to be a rocking place. And home playoff game guaranteed now, right, Coach? Guaranteed. Fill, fill the arena. Come out, and let's make it a great playoff game for the Sea Bears in our inaugural season. All right, Mike Taylor, thanks for this. And uh, I won't use the word necessarily congratulations if I said it already i apologize best of luck the rest of the way thank you very much all Appreciate right it, you betcha 848 it is the start on 680 cjob mackling mcnab marshawn joins us in a moment loren what have we got planned what's coming up at 9 35 before we uh jump into this crazy world of discussion with with gabrielle well it's a story about a story about a book that has been written on grief. And I think everybody 
has dealt with grief at some point in their life or will unfortunately in the future and how you deal with that is is critical and understanding your grief is hard for adults but but we want to talk about our kids and talking to our kids about grief. Our guest at 935 wrote a book in honor of someone that she lost. And the idea is to not just talk about how to speak to your kids about it, but to show them how different cultures around the world acknowledge their losses. And maybe we can learn from that, you know, what maybe how we do things can change or should change based on how we hear from the way other people might do it. It might allow you to pick up different traditions or ideas or even ex- explanations of what loss can mean. So we'll have that chat just after 930. So as we do every Friday at 9.05 or thereabouts, it's now 9.07, we welcome into the studio the face, the voice, the host, the anchor at Global News Morning, CKND Television, Channel 9, Cable 12, Gabrielle Marchand. Gabby, good morning. I guess I have to turn on your microphone. I just did it. I had the most horrifying thing just happened to me, Loren. I just raised my arms dancing to the music and I'm like, I don't think I put on deodorant. So everybody stay oh, far boy. away from me. Oh boy. Wow. I just need to go home and take a casual shower. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I can't pretend that doesn't happen to me at least one, once a month. There's something about that step in the dark at like three in the morning that get is the is the one that's probably my most forgotten. Never forget to brush my teeth. Obviously, I get dressed, although sometimes it's with mismatched socks. <laughs> but deodorant. Yeah. I have I some you. in my desk. It's sort of the, the community uh, deodorant. Excellent. Just so, I'll give it the old wipe down and it, throw it on. <laughs> it's been in speed stick if you don't mind uh, smelling like my grandpa. I can't it's wait available to smell like you. your grandpa as long as I don't smell like this. What's going on? What are we talking about today? So we're talking about all sorts of things, but let's start with uh, leftovers because that's one of the conversations we had this week. What do you do with leftovers? How do you reduce them? Or a lot of people now are planning to have leftovers in an effort to save money going out for lunch or other meals or to sort of maybe prep for not maybe necessarily the entire week, but part of the week. What's your leftover strategy? I love it. I can't wait. I mean, don't get me wrong. If you end up eating the same thing for the whole week, by the end, I might get sick of it and decide to freeze it. But I look forward to having leftovers, especially if it's some type of comfort food, mac and cheese, little stew. How about some leftover chili? I'll be sitting at my desk planning exactly how I'm going to eat that, what I'm going to watch while eating it, and then just nom, 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 nom. And then you know what? Sometimes if you have leftovers, you bring somebody else lunch. Hey, I packed you this nice little stir fry I made last night. Enjoy your lunch, right? I made chili this week. This this sort of prompted part of the conversation, I was, and I was saying – when I made it, the kids are just like, because mm, <laughs> I was trying to make it like my mom's that they had just had recently. And the next day, they all agreed. They're like, this is so much better. Did you do something different? And I was like, nope. Ooh. It just sat in the fridge. So we, that's why we were talking, right? Sometimes the next day, it's even better. It marinated. And then you just throw a half a bag of Doritos on top and wham, bam. Oh. Thank you, ma'am. Yeah, I actually did that with the salad. I made a chili Dorito <laughs> salsa salad. The salad was just to make me feel better because it was a straight up chili cheese fest. Yeah. Predominantly chips and meat. I like that ratio. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> Movie going memories. We were discussing uh, some of our favorites with this uh, record breaking weekend last weekend with, uh, what were they calling? Barbie, Barbenheimer. Barbenheimer. <laughs> Haven't seen either. Have you two? I've seen neither. Loren? Nope. Nope. I want to. I want to see both of them, actually, now. I originally said just the Oppenheimer, but now I would like to see both. Oh, I love seeing this. Uh, uh, maybe now that it's been out, I'll go and see the Barbie movie. Well, what about you? Memorable movie-going experience. I remember going to see Jurassic Park as a kid. 
because that was terrifying. I, I do. I remember being a small child and being like, I can handle this. No, I could not handle that. I couldn't handle it. I wasn't ready for that. Did you stay through the whole thing? Yeah. Have you ever walked out of a movie, McNabb, that disappointed you or maybe was a little bit too frightening or, or just didn't meet mm. your expectation? I don't think I've, I've certainly shut them off this, because that's easier. I cannot think if I ever walked out. I had someone in my life that I know, they were a little bit, you know, like conservative in the, just the sense of didn't like gratuity. And they walked out of Jerry Maguire. What? There was like that first initial sex scene that's super short lived. Yeah, spicy. And <laughs> I don't know if it was the language that was used, but they left in that moment. And I'm like, oh, you missed a really great and meaningful film. Yeah, are you still friends with this person? I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I question. I question the whole relationship at that point. Burn that anyway. bridge. <laughs> if you're on a morning show, you know what you do. If you don't like a movie, you just fall asleep and say you're overtired. Like I slept through an hour of the av- the most recent Avatar. Yes. I slept through an hour of House of Gucci. Had a great nap in a movie theater seat full of popcorn. Little buttery hands, little napski in the theater. I had a good time. I'm just saying, you just take a nap. If you don't like I it, slept, take a nap. I slept through Austin Power. <laughs> what? One really? of, not the first one, but the second one. I was I had a job back then that summer that was honest to God, we were getting up also super early. Um, it was like 5 a.m., which sounds luxurious now, <laughs> but I couldn't do it. Like it was too much. So I just slept right through Austin Powers. Groovy. When. Groovy baby. baby. Uh, Wednesday, Ballet at the Park. It's going last night. It's going tonight. But they had to cancel on Wednesday. So the heat was just overwhelming. It was just too hot for the dancers. There would have been people either on their way to Assiniboine Park when they canceled or maybe showed up there. Have you ever had the rug pulled out from under you in a circumstance like that where you've been looking forward to something and then boom, gets canceled? This is very selfish. Looking forward to being a wedding date to a wedding that was elsewhere and would have been lovely to travel to and then the wedding gets called off. Sad for them, sad for me too though. How could they do that to you? (laughs) How could you end your relationship and not let me travel to BC to go to your beautiful wedding and drink a ton of wine? Come on. Mm, Okay, well that's obviously a little bit frustrating. And then we got to wrap things up. But we do want to talk about concerts really quick first. Like that, that concert you saw as a teenager that you'd love to see that band one more time or maybe not see them uh loren you've been framing it uh, so perfectly so i'll let you put it to well, gabby just the music of your youth that you maybe never got to see in concert you know that you just sung every knew every single one of their songs but would love to see them in concert or just love to see them again but see them again as they were in their heyday, respecting that some of these bands may not still be together, or they've aged or not aged well, Gabby? What a great question. And I think most of them have aged pretty well, I will say. <laughs> Backstreet Boys, you oh, are yeah. my yes. fire. Yes. First concert. Yeah, sing it. That sing was it. your first concert? That was my first concert. And you would see them again. And I think would they'd I ever? still be good. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see Shania Twain though, that as well. I've never seen her, would love to. I saw her. She was great. She was surprisingly good. The time that I saw her in her first tour would have been back in 1999. Oh, good. I That's think. your oh. caveat. Oh, <laughs> where are you going with this? That's when I saw her in 1999. 
Yeah, well, I think there were some questions. She was a wonderful recording artist, but we oh, didn't know she'd never good. really toured before as an opening act. So here you're sort of laying out big bucks to go and see her as a as a primetime act, and she was fantastic. So I would absolutely see her again. And I have seen Backstreet Boys not once, but twice. Love what? you. Love How that for you. about you? I feel mm-hmm. like this should be like on your tagline on your Twitter account. <laughs> Even talking My about all these other nonsense fans. This is how far this goes back. biggest fan. 19, <laughs> My mom's 50th birthday back in 1999. Uh, we went as a family to Grand Forks to the Alara Center to see Backstreet Boys, my baby sister's favorite band. And we only had, there were, there would have been five, six of us. We only had five tickets. So my mom stayed at the hotel so I could go. God bless mamas. God bless mama. Miss you, Mom. 9.15. Gabby, thanks for popping by. Bye. Have a wonderful weekend. That's McNabb. I'm Mackling McGarry returns on Monday. And Loren, I don't really, I really don't know where to go with the winner here because once again, we've been overwhelmed with outstanding text messages and these stories. Like I feel feel bad having to choose between just one of them. Is there one that has jumped out for you? I thought you decided. Did I? I? Yeah, you said you liked uh, one, and I said I was okay with that. Okay, I can't remember which one I said, no. Check your text line, because I thought that was all sorted. We need some more music while I think. We need some more, like, game show music. Yep, yep. All right, I'm going to declare this the winner. Okay. Karen, I was lucky yes. as a youngster. My mom worked for Ticketmaster. There when I was it is. about 10, Joan Jett and the Black Heats was opening at the Old Barn. My best friend at the time and I were over the moon excited. We didn't quite understand what an opening act was and wanted to go desperately. We got tickets after she played. We were shocked at the headliner. There was a red dye and a cloud of smelly smoke in the air. It was Robert <laughs> Plant. We were not impressed. We called my mom and had her pick us up. Oh, As my no. music taste changed, I realized we missed out on a great act. Would love to go back in time and change that decision. Interesting. What do you think about that combo? Joan Jett opening, but Robert Plant being the headliner. Well, back in the day, you saw some very interesting combinations yes. when it came to the opening act and the band. Like a lot of times, of course, you could be a double bill or a triple bill where, you know, the genres matched up perfectly. But uh, one of the most unusual ones was Kid Rock opening for Bon Jovi at Winnipeg Stadium. And, you know, Kid Rock's got some slamming songs, but his language isn't, doesn't really necessarily match up with uh, John Bon Jovi's uh, language all the time, but it worked. He, like, if, if the goal of the opening act is to warm up the crowd and to get them going, that worked perfectly. Joan Jett would be a great opening act. She played in Minnedosa several years ago. She's tremendous live. And, yeah, I could see that Karen would be very disappointed about the realization, oh, I walked out on a Robert Plant concert. Yeah, hello, Led Zeppelin. Thanks for all your text messages. Uh, Karen, we're uh, sending you two tickets to Jonas Brothers. Do with them what you will. Let's just start with this. We have all in this room lost someone close before, and each of us has perhaps handled it in a different way, McNabb. Yeah, and you know, there's there's no 
way to do it right. There's no way to really do it wrong. It's just a matter of how you manage it, right? And so when you get that news that a loved one has passed, is it tears that come first or, or rage or anger or frustration? There's the, the sadness. There's the incredible feeling of loss and not having that person in your life anymore. And they're all part of that roller coaster, uh, no matter when that loss comes and no matter who that person is. And I, you know, it's safe to say I think adults struggle to manage their feelings at the best of time. And then we have to consider our kids. And so when it comes to talking to kids about loss, our next guest has actually put together a book that perhaps should be added to every shelf of someone young. We're pleased to bring on Rishma Govani, a chorus colleague of ours and author of The Stars That Shine For You. Good morning. Good morning. This is such an interesting concept because we'll get more into it in a moment, Rishma. The idea is to not just talk to kids about their grief, but showcase how other cultures might deal with it and and their own traditions. And it's sort of an eye-opener for everybody about ways to do things in in all manner of speaking. But I want to start with just maybe the impetus, if you don't mind, for the book, because you called it a labor of love in honor of your own North Star. Can you share some more? Absolutely. Um, This book is, um, it takes a very unique poetic approach to introducing death in a child-friendly tone. That being said, I think it's a good resource for even adults because it's a topic that we're all sort of uncomfortable with. Look, I've written a book on, on it, a children's book on it, and I still get uncomfortable. So what I think this book is trying to do and what we're trying to do in this conversation is just try to normalize the topic of loss. And I used to sort of pitch it as, oh, it's a good resource. Everyone should have it on their shelf and pull it out because you will need it. Everyone will need it at some point in their life. Um, But I changed that tune a bit and saying that I think we should just have this book among other topics, could be a bunny going up the hill, could be a book about a kid with autism. Let's just include this book in um, the regular rotation of story time and, and the books that kids read and they can look at the pictures and ask questions and when the time comes, they know that that resource is there. So it's not really brought out as a special occasion. I know growing up, losing some of the people that I did along the way, there was some hesitancy, I think, to, you know, you're obviously breaking news or having news broken to you in a lot of cases if you're on the periphery, if you're a youngster, you know, your mom, your dad, or or, or somebody else is coming to you to, to let you know that potentially somebody very special in their lives have have left us. That's right. I mean, everyone has that trepidation or um, I guess hesitation as well on how do you tell someone um, that they're going to lose someone. And I had a very personal experience um, with, uh, with, with what Lauren just called my North Star, my favorite person, the person I'd love to talk about the most, my person, uh, my late husband. Uh, we were together 20 years, and he was diagnosed with a, just an awful, incurable terminal type of sarcoma. And we got six bonus years together, and in those years he got to know the kids and raise the kids. Um, my daughter was five when he was diagnosed, and she was 10 when he passed. And so it's been quite a journey. And through that experience, you know, there's been this motivation. One of my side hustles is to sort of celebrate diversity in children's literature. But I sort of married the 
the married the concept of grief advocacy and brought that to light by introducing different cultures and traditions and customs related to passing away. And so it's, it's, it's a book that is accessible and it has a heartwarming and, and, and friendly, inclusive tone to it. But yeah, the motivation and inspiration behind it is, is my own loss, my own experience with loss, which is very complicated. It's very devastating. And, um, you know, my, my children are older now. This, this tends to skew young. But as I started out saying, it's not that, you know, teenagers and adults couldn't benefit from what this book is trying to do um, and teach us. I'm sorry for you. We're collect- collectively sorry for your loss. And you can only imagine the added layer of then having your children and, and you know, dealing with your own grief and then also having to help them navigate what they're going through. And I'm, I'm curious in that moment, did you look around and reach out for a book? You know, like I, we're all, I think we all Google all sorts of things, right? Like, how do I do this? How do I approach that? And did you find just didn't have that something was lacking that also made you say, I, I think I could write more on this. Um, I did do research and I did find like primarily I was looking for resources, um, you know, not necessarily uh, children's literature, but there is actually a really good array, a plethora of books out there. I think this one just dives into the topic in a really different way, introducing culture and tradition. But, you know, there are classics like Mariah Shriver's book, there's Invisible String, there's, there's books that have been around for a long time, and I'm glad to add to that library of, of resources um, and have diversity, really, even within that niche topic of, of grief around the world. There's no right way to do this. There's no, there's no handbook. Uh, I think people have tried to create the handbook. This is just, I think, just one way, one tool in the two bo- toolboxes. I, I think you sort of touched upon, Rishma, this idea of, of giving our kids and, and maybe at the same time, giving ourselves that that opportunity to to maybe view this process, this inevitable part of life in a different fashion. Absolutely. So, you know, there's a lot of things that bind us together. And my first book, Sushi and Samosas, talks about food around the world and how it bonds us together. There's different things, right? There's literature, there's film, there's music. There's so many things that bind us together. But grief is another one that binds humanity like no other. And so it's, what it's trying to do is find some commonality. And I've, I've chosen sort of the poetic idea or the literal idea of the stars above us, the stars that shine for you, and that each one of us has different stars that are twinkling and shining bright. You just have to look up and access them, but they're constantly looking over us. And I think that opens the conversation about love and loss and hope. And, you know, despite what culture you belong to and what tradition you follow, Poetically, I think we can all align and agree that we have these beautiful stars above us. And that's why it's a, it's a, it's a book that's done in a not scary way, but I think a really approachable, friendly and loving way. So can you talk a bit about what you learned along the way in terms of the, you know, every culture has its own way of dealing with all sorts of things. I remember getting a book for my kids about teeth, like a, when you lose your tooth and the way people deal with that. Uh, in different cultures, you know, like we put it in water, you some some put it on the roof, some put it under the pillow. And that's a, on the silly side, on the very serious side of dealing with someone. There's also beautiful ways that different cultures acknowledge end of life. Yeah. Oh, I have to look that book up. I'm so curious. That is so 
Some of it's right, different. really bizarre, Rishma, but it's but it's neat because the idea is, yeah, you learn, right? And and you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. Even in death, you might think, oh, that's kind of cool. It is. I'm 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 fascinated by it because yeah, here's another example of what binds us together: teeth, right? Um, so yeah, this book was an eye opener, right? And and it no, it, by no means does it depict. And there's a really clear disclaimer because we don't want to be able to categorize or just make a whole stereotype about a certain culture. But in certain parts of the world and in certain countries, these are traditions that follow. A few of them that really stood out for me is like an example in Hawaii, where you know, where when a fellow surfer passes away. Um, the surfing community in Hawaii, which is a very popular community, does what's called a paddle out. And they take their surfboards and they honor uh, and ride high on the ocean, uh, honoring their bra. There's another example, um, let's say in Bangladesh. And Bangladesh is very diverse in terms of religious diversity. And in certain Hindu cultures, um, the men in the family shave their heads. Um, so that's, you know, another tradition. In New Orleans, there's a really fun one, and, and that's called jazz celebration or a jazz funeral, and uh, takes a whole different take on, on life. In Denmark, um, I learned that they open the windows uh, when anyone passes in the community, a neighbor, and what that symbolizes is, uh, you know, the fresh air, new star, letting the soul pass. Um, giving it sort of its freedom and its wings to, to 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 pass through, literally. And so the windows are opened in uh, different communities. So these were just a few examples that I found, and I was just, you know, I, I was blown away at how different people celebrate end of life and death. And it's not always a celebration, too. It's obviously a very, very tough thing to experience. Um, and that's what the book is trying to do. And so there's an appendix. It's really written in a poetic form, and then the appendix is where it dives deeper into what those different customs and practices are. And if you want to know more about, you know, what happens in the Iranian culture or in uh, parts of the Caribbean, like Jamaica, there's a pra- uh, practice called Nine Nights, and a loved one share memories and celebrate life through dancing and food. And um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's I think it's a really neat, cute book. Um, even though the topic is a really difficult, hard one. Rishma, thank you for this. Thank you for sharing your experience through this book, your grief. I hope it's been therapeutic for you. We appreciate you joining us this morning. The book is The Stars That Shine For You. Rishma Govani is our chorus colleague, the author of said book. Where can we get it, Rishma? Um, just check online, support Canadian or support local where you can. So Chapters Indigo is a good bet to go find it. It's called The Stars That Shine For You. Um, the book and this conversation was very cathartic. So just thank you so much for having me on today. Our pleasure. Our genuine honor, in fact. 